Alrighty. Well, I'm going to. We won't play the video yet. I've got a little video to introduce my discussion point, which we'll do shortly. However, what I want to do is to hand out some little pieces of paper. So. I have my beautiful assistant. To, see, I'm as good as anybody with a TV show. There we go. Um, if you run out, you give people more than more than more than one, and um, shortly we'll read them out. Yeah, you can have one, Jenny. Now they're all different. They're all different. Because my, my focus for today's discussion point is on the Sabbath, or Shabbat, as um, the Jews uh, refer to it. And uh, what we're handing out is uh, a list of some of the things a traditional Orthodox Jew is not allowed to do on the Sabbath. So, did you get one for yourself? No, I don't. Well, really that's all right. Here, you can have these. You can have all of those, but just hang <laughs> on for, for a minute. Um, well, Helen, seeing as you've been very vocal this morning, we might start with you. <laughs> would, would you like to read out what's on your little note? <laughs> Cutting hair or nails. Yes, now, do you cut your hair or nails on a, on a Sabbath, on a Saturday? I hope not. No. <laughs> and then it says shearing sheep. Yes. I you see, <laughs> cutting hair or nails is forbidden on the Sabbath to an Orthodox Jew because it is work. It is work like shearing the sheep. And that is field or agricultural work. Work is not something you do on, on the Sabbath. So, Magella, what have you got? Brushing dried mud from shoes or clothes. Mm. Grinding. That's grinding. That's associated with the harvest and producing, say, flour from, from wheat or from, from corn. So again, there's a relationship between dusting the mud off your boots or off your clothes and work. So you're not allowed to do it on Sabbath. Michelle? Uh, drawing blood for a blood test. Yeah, don't go down and do a COVID test on a on, on a on a Sabbath. And then it says slaughtering. Yeah. You see, because any anything to do with blood is related to slaughtering animals. Not allowed to do that. On the Sabbath. My turn. I have a question. What if you go and get your haircut by somebody else? Ah, we'll come to that because that's a very, very interesting question. And that's the kind of question the rabbis have worked on for literally thousands of years. Christy, what have you got? Uh, painting, drawing, typing, writing, making a durable mark on a durable material. Yeah, you're not allowed to do any kind of painting, drawing, or typing because making a durable mark on a durable material is work. If it's not work, it could be work. So you're not allowed to do it. Emma. Applying makeup, dyeing. Yeah, so you don't dye your hair or put makeup on before you come to church because you're not allowed to. Uh, makeup free Sunday. Pardon? Makeup free Sunday. <laughs> See, dyeing, uh, dyeing cloth, that was work. You mustn't do anything that could even remind you of work on the Sabbath. Mark, what have you got? Uh, smoking your cigarette or using a telephone. <laughs> 
kindling a fire. Well, now you probably haven't been smoking this morning, but I bet you used your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, the phone uses electricity, and that somehow or other is related to the kindling of a fire, which was one of the things that was probably outlawed on the Sabbath if you go looking through the Old Testament books of the law. What, what did you have, honey? Tearing through letters printed on a package. Erasing. How about that? Open a packet of peanuts. You're not allowed to tear through any of the words that are actually printed on the package. What if there's no words? Well, you'd be okay then. See, this is, now, now she was just trying to be funny, right? No, but so these are the questions the rabbis deal with. Seriously. The rabbis agonise over these kinds of questions. They really do. Did, did you just read yours, honey, or did... Yeah, I did? my turn. Oh, Don't forget turn. the lady in the cupboard. The lady in the cupboard. <laughs> Opening yeah. an umbrella, you're going to get weird if you do that, and, and it's building. Yeah, you're not allowed to open an umbrella because that's related to construction. Construction is work. You're not allowed to do it. So you're going to get wet. Yep. yep. It's just water. You could be wet. <laughs> well, uh, Carla, I remembered your name without any help this week. Well, go climb a tree. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, uh, no, you can't climb a tree on the Sabbath. Is that the one you had? Yes. <laughs> you know why? Because you might break a twig or a branch, and that's equivalent to reaping in the field, and you're not allowed to do field work, so climbing a tree is out on the Sabbath. Michael. Making a bouquet of flowers, making a sheath. You can't put together you can't put together a bouquet of flowers. You can't even put new water in the vase. Because making a bouquet of flowers is like building a sheaf of, of grain in the field. That's field work, not allowed on the Sabbath. Lizzie? Agreeing to buy or sell writing. Yeah. See, when you, when you agree to buy or sell, that's a contract. Well, you're not allowed to write because that works. So you can't enter into any kind of contract, even if it's a verbal contract, on the Sabbath. I'm really sorry. I haven't met you yet. I oh, know. Marie, yeah. well, it was so lovely to meet you, Marie. I'm I'm a grumpy old man, but I'm also the pastor here. So. <laughs> I've got lathering soap grinding. How about that? Like when I had a shower this morning, like I I used soap, right? Oh, good. Did you? Yeah, yeah, lathered the soap. Well, you're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath because that's related to grinding, which again is an agriculture is agricultural work. Right, hey? Hey. Well, but very devout, serious people do this. Um, Neil, what did you end up with? Um, setting, winding a clock or watch, finishing off. Yeah. Finishing off, again, it, it's a process associated with um, agriculture, finishing off, a, say, a food product. Winding a clock or even setting the time is related to finishing off. What do you reckon, eh? That's why we now there's, there's a lot more things you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Yeah, that was how many and how many are there? How many what? Laws. Oh, um, there are 39 kind of divisions of law 
that apply to the things you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Now, they're not... Interestingly, the Bible actually never anywhere specifies the things you're not allowed to do. It just says um, that we're to observe the Sabbath, and I want to talk a little bit about what all that means shortly. The Bible never anywhere says you're not allowed to cut your fingernails or toenails on the Sabbath. Right? It doesn't say you can't have a decent wash on the Sabbath. Right? These are all interpretations of the principle that have been drawn out of the Word of God over thousands of years by the rabbis. You see? Well, not only are there things you're not allowed to do, there are some things you're not even allowed to touch because they, they've got sacred um, implications. And uh, Tamara's got about four or five of these. Do you want to read them out for us? Pencils and pens, battery-operated toys and torches, radios and TVs, telephones, computers, money and checks. Not allowed to even touch them. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Well, while we're just letting that sink in, do you want to play that little video for us? By the way, this is Kanye West. No. Has anyone heard of Kanye West? No. Some people probably call him Kane. K A Kanye West? He's married to one of the Kardashians? Yeah. yeah. Okay.
Uh, you're one of the most famous Christians on the planet at the moment, Kanye West. I actually played that mainly because of reference to Chick-fil-A. Anyone heard of Chick-fil-A? Yep. Yes. Fast food company in the United States. What do they do on Sunday? They're closed. Yeah, they're closed on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> the point I wanted to make is, you know, if we're not careful, we can make Sunday a bit like the traditional Orthodox Jews Sabbath. But we can come up with a list of things you shouldn't be doing on a, on a Sunday. And uh, I think that's something that we need to avoid, but I will explain why that is a little later on. Can we move on to the next slide? Here we go. So we've got a little bit of background now. now we, we know some of the things you're not allowed to do on uh, Shabbat. Can a strict traditional Jew switch on or off an electric light on the Sabbath? See, I told you we'd come to your question. Yes, no, or maybe. No, no. Oh, righto. Well, this is where it gets really, really interesting. Because, guess what? Maybe. The rabbis have been asked, and yes, the answer is probably, maybe. How's that? The answer is probably, maybe. That's pretty definite, isn't it? We'll see different rabbis give different answers. There is a prohibition against making fire on the Sabbath that we find in Exodus 35, verse 3. Now, since a light bulb burns, switching on an electric light is prohibited. Now, here... See, this is the conundrum. Now, what if a light bulb doesn't use a filament? What an incandescent light bulb or a, a, um, a halogen light bulb, it creates light by passing electric current through a wire that gets very hot until it glows and that creates the light. So there's a sense of burning in there, all right? Okay, so what happens if you've got an LED light? There's no burning. Right? An LED light, it creates photons as current is passed through a, a, a medium inside the, the bulb. And so there's no, there's no heat. Photons are like light, little light doodad thingies. That's a scientific term, by the way, doodad thingy. So what do you do then? Is it okay to turn on an LED light? Oh, but some of the other rabbis come and say, well, it is not necessarily the action of switching on the light that is the problem. It's the fact that electricity is used. Since thought and planning go into the production of electricity, this is work. So guess what? The only way to deal with turning on or off lights or any other kind of electrical appliances during the Sabbath is to actually have them on a, um, a timer. That's okay. That's okay. So see how complicated it gets? How do you, how on earth do you figure out whether you're a good Jew when you're not too sure whether what you do or don't do on the Sabbath is okay? Some of the rabbis view the activation of an electric current as pro, uh, coming under the prohibited category of building or intentionally causing something to happen. Although some believe that opening a fridge door is allowed because the light is incidental without conscious intent. Some Jews actually remove the light bulb before Shabbat. So there's no possibility that they would break the law 
no light bulb, no light. So you can open and close the fridge door as often as you want. And you don't contravene the law. Now, what do you do if you don't have a timer? In the old days, before we had these magical little doodad thingies, using that scientific term again, a Jew could actually hire a non-Jewish person called the Shabbos Goy. I don't know whether I pronounced it correctly. And it was their job to turn appliances on and off. That was okay. Because it wasn't a Jew who was doing it. You see how complicated life can become? Just not entering a contract, getting someone else to do something. Oh, well, perhaps you... But as long as the contract wasn't signed on the Sabbath, that's okay. Let's move on to the next slide. Can a strict traditional Jew walk on grass on the Sabbath? Maybe. Now, I think you're right this time. It's a definite maybe. Not a possibly maybe. It's a definite maybe. You see, because it depends on the intent. If your intent is to get from A to B and you have to walk on grass in the process, that's okay. Because there's no intention to do anything in relation to the grass. But let's say you decided to have a shower on the grass. Hot day, you put the hose on and... Uh, is that allowed? No. No, you know why? Because if you do that, you'll water the grass and watering the grass will cause it to grow and that's agricultural activity, so that's not allowed. Because it's work. So it depends on why you're on the grass. Okay, let's move on to the next slide. Here's a question for you. Was it lawful for Jesus' disciples to pick corn as they walked through a field on the Sabbath? Second, was it lawful for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath? Now, some people didn't think it was lawful to do either because the Pharisees got pretty upset, didn't they? But Jesus had a response. And I'm reading from Matthew 12 using the New Living Translation. It's not up there. Too, too many words to put up there. So I'm reading from Matthew 12, verses 1 through to verse 14. So don't go to sleep on me, all right? I'll try and make it really dramatic. <laughs> At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read the Scriptures? what David did when he and his companions were hungry. He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread <coughs> that only the priests are allowed to eat. <coughs> and haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. So he was actually saying, in fact, no, we didn't break the law because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. That was a red rag to a parasaical ball, for sure. And his disciples were 
an effect priest, so it was okay for them to harvest the grain and eat it. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. And the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. So what did Jesus say? Doing good is not prohibited by the law any day of the week. And there was a man with a need of healing. So Jesus healed him. So let's have a little look at the law concerning the Sabbath. Of course, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. As everybody knows, it's my favourite book in the Bible. Uh, we seem to refer to it nearly every Sunday. We see right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, God has completed the six days of the work of creation. And the Bible records that God rested after six days of creation. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy or sanctified because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Two things are worth considering here. The, the Hebrew word which is translated uh, rest or rested there is uh, Shabbat or, or Sabbath. So the Sabbath really is about ceasing from work, or as some modern commentators say, ceasing from our normal daily routine, whatever that might be. It says here, of course, that God um, declared this day holy or sanctified. In other words, it was set apart for His purposes. So when we emphasise a long list of things we shouldn't do on the Sabbath or as Christians on, on a Sunday, Sabbath being Saturday, we can remove the focus from the event, sorry, from the purpose and, and place it on the event. Because God had a purpose in creating the Sabbath. The purpose was actually building relationships with him and with one another. Listen to what it says in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 to 3. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. 
These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly, for gathering together. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest. That is, ceasing your everyday business, whatever it happens to be. It's an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and it must be observed wherever you live. That's interesting, isn't it? That the very first festival that is listed is the Sabbath day. The emphasis is not on a long list of things you shouldn't do, but the emphasis is actually on coming together as community building relationship with God and with one another. The reason why we cease from our normal everyday activities is so we can take some time to build community with God and with one another. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Bible does not actually specify the things we're not actually allowed to do on the Sabbath. The rabbis have drawn from five major areas that are nevertheless referred to in Scripture. One is field labour. I'll read through the references quickly. Um, Exodus 34 verse 21 and Numbers 15 verses 32 to 36. The second is treading in a wine press and loading animals. Uh, we find that in Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 15 to 18. Uh, doing business and carrying things, Isaiah 58 13. Jeremiah 17, 22, and Amos 8, 5. Travelling is also prohibited. Uh, Exodus 16, verses 29 to 30. And lighting a fire, which causes all that trouble with turning on a light switch. Exodus 35, verses 2 to 3. So that, in a sense, is where this whole Sabbath thing began. And I just want to re-emphasise the importance of coming together in community for the purpose of building relationship with God and with one another. It was never God's intention when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden for them to work without ceasing. It was never God's intention and it is still not God's intention today. We can move on. What did Jesus say? Well, we've already, we've already seen a few of the things he said, but there's quite an interesting shift beginning here. This is Jesus' invitation to us. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now that word rest there, that has connotations not of ceasing from something, but of 
being placed in a position. And I made a very interesting discovery as I was preparing my presentation for today. And by the way, this has been sitting in my heart since July last year. I first started gathering material for this in July last year. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, this is really so important. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. It's really interesting here because if you read lots and lots of theologians and, and commentators, the, the word that is translated place, it, it's not an easy translation here. Uh, to get from the Hebrew to English is actually very difficult because uh, a literal word-for-word -word translation is not easy. But that word placed is almost certainly associated with a different Hebrew word that's not Shabbat, but it's Nuach. And the implication of it is rest in work, not rest from work. See, there's a shift here. There's a shift from a day of the week to a way of living. Come to me. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is the light. So we're shifting from a day to a way of living. Let's have a look at what it says in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. I've only put uh, verses 2 and 3 up on the screen, but I'm going to read verses 1 through to 11. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared his rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For, we, uh, for only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger I took an oath that they will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labours just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best 
Some translations say, let us strive to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we fail. That's a little bit confusing because the writer of Hebrews is referring all the way back to Genesis 2 where God rested. But then he actually talks not about a day of rest, but a place of rest. Here's a little bit of history. In Genesis, before there was any sin in the world, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you've got to tend and keep it. There's no distinction there between work, rest and play. No distinction. It's all in perfect union with each other and with God. Sin comes in, breaks the union. Changes the whole nature of work. So there is a point in ceasing from work and taking a rest in order to build relationship with God and with one another. But see, not you know, a little later on in history, God speaks to Abraham, and he speaks to Abraham of a great blessing. A great blessing to come from him and then pass down to generation after generation after generation. And you see, part of that blessing eventually became the so-called promised land. Remember, God placed Abraham in Canaan, the promised land, and he said, you know, look as far as you can, and I've given it to you and your descendants. So we go from the Garden of Eden, via sin, to the blessing of Abraham. And part of that blessing was Canaan, the promised land. What was in the promised land? It was a land of milk and honey. And you know what God said? That the children of Israel were going to have rest in the land of Canaan. Now, of course, we know they, they disobeyed God. They, 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 they didn't actually fully respond to God's commands in relation to taking the land. So they never found true rest there. But then Jesus came along and made that invitation. Come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest. He's our promised land. It's not a place even anymore. It's a way of living. It's receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour and taking His yoke, His burden, an easy yoke, a light burden. What was it that Jesus achieved for us? It will all be revealed on the next slide. <laughs> Jesus offers us Eden. Jesus, no problem. <laughs> Jesus offers us Eden. Let that sink in. This isn't about a religious practice of setting aside a day of the week, be it Saturday or Sunday. 
what this is about is relationship to God through Jesus Christ, his son. There's that link. Eden, Abraham, the promised land, Jesus. And in fact, some writers, as I was researching this, point to Eden and Canaan as synonyms. It's quite interesting when, when you have a look at the... the we, we don't know for sure what these words mean, right? Because there were no dictionaries. There wasn't a dictionary written back in ancient times. We think that Eden means plain, something like a plain. And, and, and when you look at the descriptions of, of Eden in the Bible, it was, was on a floodplain, right? There were rivers in, in, in Eden. Canaan itself, um, the, the, the word changed its meaning over time, but the, one of the earliest meanings we believe of the word Canaan was a lowland. Well, a plain and a lowland, pretty similar, aren't they? There can be plains that are elevated in the mountains, but plains most of the time, they're associated with a, with a river. They're, they're in a lowland area. So there's a geographic connection even between Eden and Canaan. The Bible often talks about us as being inheritors of the promises that God made to Abraham. Now, I don't really believe that's necessarily about numbers of people. It's about entering his rest. It's entering his rest. So we don't have to worry about whether or not it's okay to walk on the grass or to switch on a light bulb or to cut our nose or to braid our hair or any of those kinds of things. Our striving is not to be able to tick off a list of do's and don'ts. Our striving is to be to enter into the rest that Jesus Christ offers us.